Hello and welcome to Eavesdropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose. And we've just come back from seeing Black Panther Wakanda Forever. Yes. The sequel to 2018's Black Panther, which I think we probably still think is the best Marvel film, and probably by a distance. We loved it. I loved it. And loads of people loved it. Yeah. And it felt so original, so vital, so interesting, so smart, and had great action. All the things that you... Marvel had been going for ages and ages going, we've got to get one that wins Best Picture, you know, and this was, I think, was it the first one that was nominated for it, maybe? I don't remember that, then. I remember being enthralled because I saw it in Stockholm, in a mall, uh, but but in the centre, mm-hmm. but in a mall-like place, and it was all full of these, you know, Scandinavians, right? All blonde and blue-eyed and tall and whatever. <laughs> and, you know, the, the film, like, completely captivated them and they were, like, totally with it. And, you know, it was yeah. just, like, this great feeling to see something like that on screen and to see, you know, that audience, which for me kind of stood in you know, for a kind of a super Aryan white audience in general to be so with it, you know. Yeah, the the crowd here, I saw it a couple of times um, in this country, and the crowd was crazy for it. For one thing, it's it's the kind of film that um, fills out a cinema, mm. you know, which most films don't. And the crowd was going nuts for it, and they were cheering and screaming, mm. all the rest of it. And here, it was much more subdued, and the crowd was smaller, although it was still quite big. Yes, um, you know. But it, but they were, you know, whistles moves. And so the film is doing a lot with the death of Chadwick Boseman, who was Black Panther, to T'Challa. Mm. Um, and he died at the age of, I think, 43, a couple of years ago now. Mm. And it was a huge shock. He had cancer. I think most of the world had known him because of Black Panther. Mm. Um, he had done... In America, he played um, Jackie Robinson, the first uh, black athlete to play Major League Baseball in a film called 42, which made like $100 million, but it's really an American story. Mm. And I don't think anyone else has really seen it. I haven't. Um, so I think he was known a little bit for that. But yeah, he was known for Black Panther. And and I think Black Panther, for a lot of people, was also a bit like Iron Man, a character who you hadn't heard of. I mean, I, if you, if you, well, had, I did. I if was a, a fan of the comic books. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you had a passing interest in comics, or none at all, then you'd still heard of like Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, the really big ones. I'd never heard of Iron Man before the Iron Man film, and I'd never heard of Black Panther before he showed up in the Marvel Universe. And, as we say, it was, it was hugely successful, and everyone loved it. And part of the question was... Now that Chadwick Boseman has died and they've announced they won't be recasting T'Challa, will there still be interest? Will it still be an interesting series of movies? And I kind of had no doubt that it would be because I think the world was such an important part of why the first one was so interesting. Yes. And without him in it, the world is still there. But I think... um, I mean, I don't know what you felt about the film, Mm. but I was completely engrossed. I mean, you know, it's long. It's two hours and 40 minutes or something like that. Yeah. And I didn't twitch once or look at my watch once. I was completely with it the whole time. And more than that, I really think it's kind of like a radical film. You know, I think it does um, stuff that in any other context would seem revolutionary, really. I mean, revolutionary is probably too strong a word. But, you know, to take a male superhero show and to transcribe it all onto a grouping of women, yeah, because, mm-hmm. you know, all it's a woman's world in this new Black Panther film, yeah, yeah uh, with a, a, a quite an androgynous heroine, 
you know, kind of a lesbian couple, a subsidiary characters, a mother-daughter, you know, relationship being at the heart of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, that is radical. I mean, not not in itself, but as a continuation mm. of a male superhero story, right? It would be, I don't know, like kind of turning the Superman, uh, one of the Superman movies into, you know, the the relations between... Superman's mother and sister and, you know, what I mean, it, it, it feels quite radical to me, really. You know, this is quite a chance that this film has taken and it's done so incredibly well. And it's very subtle about it all. So it doesn't feel that it's having like, you know, this feminism rammed down your throat, like, you know. Well, we sometimes feel it, it's quite tokenistic in films. I mean, exactly. And to be fair, the lesbian relationship only... I think I only realised it was a lesbian relationship right at the end when they share a kiss. It's true, you know, um, because that's the only moment that it becomes overt, mm. right? You know, but these embraces between women and these looks and so on, I mean, it is like a kind of a, quite a, a... I wouldn't even say it's a feminine world because it's not particularly feminine, but it's a woman's world. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, you know, that, that we're seeing in all its diversity. Right? And it only occurred to me is that after a while, it only just like occurred to me, oh, this is all women after mm. a bit. So I, the, the, there are two... Well, three male characters of any significance, which is Winston Duke uh, plays on Baku still, and he still gets you know, opportunities to get lots of laughs and so yeah, on. He's but he also has a wonderful, you know, when it, when it's required for Baku to take things seriously, he's very good at that too, and I find it quite moving actually. Yes, I thought so too. Um, there's also Martin Freeman's FBI guy who um, is you know around the edges, and he's had a part to play before, and um, the villain in this one, which we'll get onto, who's male. Um, but yeah, it kind of only occurred to me a while. Like a while into the film, that yeah, this is just all women. Like, and, and some of the new characters they're bringing in are female as well, and it's just a group of women. But it doesn't have that feeling that certainly that bit in Endgame did, mm. where it was like sisters doing it for themselves or ganging up. How one, you know, it it doesn't because it just. I suppose what occurred to me is how natural it feels. You don't yes. question it, and the fact that I didn't, I didn't even think of noticing it, if you like, until yeah. like an hour into the film, is kind of part of that. And, and part of the question is how good is Tisha Wright? at being the star now. She was a side character, she was T'Challa's sister, she does the tech and so on, and now it's very much her story. It's on her to... to Well, the start of the story is essentially she's coping very badly with T'Challa's death. So T'Challa has been killed by an illness, which I think you know, is not an accident that they've vaguely adapted um, Chadwick Boseman's real-life illness into something long-term that he knew was going to kill him in this mm. film, but he didn't really tell anyone about, which is more or less how it seems to have happened in real life. Um, she's coping very badly with it. And the que- and you know, as a new threat um, emerges, how is she going to cope with new responsibility and a new part to play in Wakandan, Wakandan hierarchy and society? Hmm. I mean, to me, she is a supporting player. I don't see her as becoming a star outside of this role. Yeah. Um, I think she's very effective in this role. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think part of the reason why she's so effective is because she's so well surrounded by, you know, a series of like wonderful, it's a wonderful ensemble. Yeah. Right. To see uh, Lupita Nyong'o, who I think is just fantastic. And actually, Angela Bassett, I think is the most beautiful I've seen her. I don't know what age she is now. She must be in her 60s. Right, but I've never seen her so beautifully filmed and with that white hair and <laughs> she's just so, you can't take your eyes off her, really. Mm. Um, so the combination of all of the people that surround her means that, to me, Letitia Wright was very effective in the role. Um, 
But I, I, I don't think she's got the charisma of somebody like Angela Bassett, actually. So, but, but you know, I think, I think she doesn't need more than she gives in this film. I was actually probably a bit surprised at how good I thought she was. Oh, good. I mean, I really liked her in in the first film, but she, you know, as we said, she was a side character in that, and she was supporting, and she was mostly kind of comic relief. Yes. Um, she was wonderful in the first one. Yeah, in, in in that. And here, she's obviously required to do a lot of the dramatic heavy lifting because it's about her story and her failure to cope with grief and her wanting vengeance and so on and so forth. Um, and I bought every minute of it. I thought she was great, and I thought she was a star. Actually, oh, I, you, I okay, couldn't, couldn't take my eyes off her, sort of thing. And I really loved her, and I can see her kind of playing well with the new, you know, whenever they do a new crossover one and it all starts to kick off into well, the new Avengers thing, I, I can see her being a big, important and charismatic part of that. I hope you're right. I mean, I, I personally don't see don't see that, but I thought she was very effective in this movie. Uh, and I also thought that she's got a unique look mm. because she's so androgynous looking, yeah? I mean... In some angles, like, really, she could be like a young boy, I thought, you mm. know. So, again, you know, the combination of, you know, her being the daughter, yes, but also her looking like that, and, you know, and she, yet she's not the new king, right? She doesn't challenge to become the king of, or the queen yeah. of Wakanda, right? So, I think, for me, the whole narrative is set up in a, in a quite a different way that I find absolutely, like, uh, riveting, and very, very daring. Yeah. yeah. I think the, also, the other thing that I want to point out is that the whole world of this film is a world of people of color. Yeah, the Martin Freeman character, I mean, I forget what the last line is, you know, but something like, oh, you colonial, you imperial. Yeah, the, a colonizer in chains. Yes, yeah. a colonizer in chains. <laughs> now I've seen everything. She yeah, says. so, you know, that's pretty much his role in that. It's a kind of a comic relief. Yeah, you know, but as just, it was first time round, you know, yeah. there's that wonderful bit where they go up to see uh, M'Baku and he's mocking how, what an outsider this guy is and pretending he's going to eat him and stuff. He's like, no, 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 we don't do that. Yeah, I think what struck me this time is the way that they brought in a whole Latin American culture, mm-hmm. yeah, into this world, so that it felt both inclusive and expansive, you know. And even though, you know, the Submariner is made to be the enemy, as he was in so many comic books, right, where he's got this rage against the surface world, um, you know, the, the kind of dressing him up in all of this kind of my what seems Mayan culture mm. right uh, I thought was just like a brilliant idea really and you know it's like bringing Latin America into Africa through you know kind of an American kind of perspective or something it felt it felt really innovative yeah me. yeah I wonder if it um, it felt that <laughs> there was an element to me that felt like it was um it was just using kind of kind of imagery and iconography of kind of kind of the the indigenous historical peoples yeah. of South America without you know the thing the thing about Black Panther the first one that was so remarkable and so smart is that it was really getting into the feeling of of the diaspora and the fact that these you know people this land had been raped and pillaged mm. over the years and 
and the question of what do we do with it now and you know and because he had killmonger's whole thing of wanting vengeance for it mm-hmm. um and he had the wakandans um or yeah t'challa's more reasonable more kind of <laughs> quiet thing of we're going to keep ourselves to ourselves and so on and there was also on top of that this whole idea of of wakanda as a place is technologically advanced it's like tokyo in africa like what if you know what what could it's like a fantasy vision of what could Africa have been sure. you know, had it not been raped and colonised and so on. Um, there's nothing really about that happening with, you know, there's, there's nothing that clever, nothing that deep going on with, well, I'm not, I'm with not, this South American inflected culture, I think. I'm not sure um, about that. I mean, I think, you know, visually it's astonishing, mm. right? You know, the use of, the, of those costumes and the headdress, you know, and kind of the um the references you know to to that culture and those religions and so on what is true and i think makes for you know a fascinating kind of contrast is that the world of namor is a world that lacks science and, lear- and learning yeah yeah which we're told about wakanda derives from the fact they have vibranium and the whole point is this place also has it this place has the vibranium but actually it lacks the scientific culture mm. to do things with that vibranium yeah presumably other than yeah you know, so it still has a kind of primitive culture despite the facts that... I, I mean i thought that the whole film for me had a kind of a value of learning and science mm. and experimenting. I mean, the whole kind of anti-Trump thing, right? Whereas you get the sense that the Submariner's world is a world, you know, that's hiding. It's rich in resources, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. you know, but it's got to hide them. Yeah, and it's wary of science. In fact, it wants to kill the scientists because it wants to protect itself. Yeah. And the only way of protecting itself is, you know, to kill, si- yeah, to kill the science. So they don't see science as something that might benefit them as well, mm. right? It isn't, you know, let's get the scientists and let them and let her help us, you know, to develop what we can do with this, you know. So I thought that was kind of very interesting, really. Mm. Yeah, it is interesting. Um, to me, it kind of feels more accidental than than deliberate, though, because I don't think. It, I think you're right, you know, the idea that this is a place that hasn't come up with great scientific developments from its resources and and this thing about the scientist character in particular and them wanting to kill it is is interesting. Um, but it's more about the hiding. Um, I, it doesn't... You know, the hiding, the hiding is interesting because it's it sort of puts them in position of where Wakanda had been. Wakanda mm. had, had used its scientific developments to cloak itself mm. and hide itself from the world. And it still does that. We still see the kind of invisibility shield it puts around itself sort of thing. Um, the thing about this this um, Submariner world is no one's heard of them. You know, it's the first time we're hearing of them. And, you know, we've seen everything in these fucking Marvel movies. And now all of a sudden we discover, you discover a new civilization on Earth, right? Well, I mean, um, the Submariner was an important comic book character as well. Yeah. No, yeah. I don't doubt you. Yeah. So their whole thing, and it's made very explicit, is... They're hiding, and the fact that Wakanda has shown its vibranium to the world, even though it's still keeping it to itself, um, has threatened these guys now. Yeah, um, because you know, they're, they're about look, to be discovered. They're about to be discovered, right? Um, so that that's kind of where that's where I thought the interest 
interest was, and there is, I suppose, there, there is there is a feeling of connection there with with you know instead of instead of opening up about your existence and and, and learning and so on, um, the response is to isolate and hide. And well, so. not just to isolate and hide, but to completely militarize. Yeah. Right. You know. So I mean, for self protection. What Namor has built is a completely military culture. Yeah. Right. He's saying we've been planning for this like for generations. Right. Yeah. So so and I thought that was interesting. So there's a world like, you know, there's a notion between them. Like one is in Africa, the other one is clearly like in Latin America. Uh, they have the same resource. Yeah. Kind of one is tiny, the other one is huge. Mm. Yeah. Because the other one kind of could encompass all the seas. Yeah. You know. Um, and the other one had not only has, you know, vibranium, but it also is clearly in control of animals like fish of various kinds. Yeah. And also with, you know, some kind of hypnotic thing that can, you know, get other people to, to do their bidding. Yes. A sonic thing. I mean, to be fair, they do say, you know, it's this, it's this sonic hypnosis. There is, there is definitely scientific development I'm not sure about that because if I remember correctly I'm not I'm not sure but Mm. I I thought you know one of the submariners powers was that yeah so this is the people's power not a device they've created I I mean to be fair I wasn't clear on it I I don't know yeah but I'm just saying that I think from my memory of the comic book it was a power that the submariner had right yeah as in as in the um, Namor character himself yeah that's right the main one yeah um, because certainly in the film towards the end, when you get into that fight, when they lure them out into the sea and they're doing it to the Wakandans, it's just like a group of of, of the fish people in the sea doing it. Chanting, yeah. Yeah. I know. So, um, I don't know. So, yeah. I suppose I wasn't completely clear on that. It's not It's not a place that is 100% devoid of scientific development. They've got bombs and things, but it's still fairly rudimentary and it doesn't, and it is, and it is drawing a distinction between them and Wakanda. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but it, it's doing it, it everything it's doing with them is about reflecting on Wakanda. Like the film opens up with um uh the Wakandans uh, Angela Bassett going to the UN and you know saying to them because because the UN's like you've got this vibranium it's incredibly dangerous we need to talk to you about it. Mm. We need you to share it with we us. We want it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, we need it. And and so the question is open right at the start about how is Wakanda going to handle international diplomacy now that people know about them mm. you know, and their response is we're keeping it a secret and it's not because it's dangerous because you're dangerous what yes. you'll do with it that's the response um, but then of course when you get the, the, the submariners people involved they as I say are put in a position that Wakanda had been in before people knew about Wakanda um, so I suppose it yeah I don't know it, I mean the whole film begins actually because a young student has accidentally developed this machine that can locate vibranium. Yeah. Right? So that is, you know, what starts off Namor uh, in search or, you know, in a t- attempting to kidnap the person who developed this resource because it puts all of his people in danger. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, until now, they would have been quite happy to remain hidden and live their life in their world. Mm-hmm. Right? But actually, it's, you know, them being revealed to the world that puts them in danger. Right? Yeah. So, um, I, and I thought that was, in, that was you know, kind of a very interesting mm. comparison and contrast and so on. But I think it really is done in relation to science. You see, everybody in Wakanda, you know, with all the technology, all the machines, all the designing new uniforms and new this and new that and, you know, um, and it's tiny, right? 
And then you have, you know, everything coming from the submariners world is a hatred of that science. And I thought that what was interesting, that was kind of largely completely absent from this film, but that was such a staple of the comic books, is that the reason why the submariner hates the surface world is because they keep polluting it, right? Yeah, mm. so all the kind of richness of the surface world is actually at the expense of the oceans. They dump everything on the sea, mm. either dumping all this garbage on his people. <laughs> yeah. And that's why he seeks vengeance. Whereas this film has a more... Well, he, he talked about their people having originally been driven into the sea because of the conquistadors yes. taking over their lands. That's right. So it's a colonisation thing, and then they made a potion out of this plant that gave them the ability, basically turned them into fish people of a sort, yes. and they were able to live in the sea because of that. Yeah. And he in particular took on some particular special mutations, so he's lived for hundreds of years and can breathe on land, but he's, he's different, he's special. Yes. The others are just... Well, they're Aquaman people, right? They're Atlanteans, essentially. I mean, this is like this is the Marvel sort of version of Aquaman. Yes. Well, the Aquaman, interestingly, did have the whole pollution angle. Yes. Um, as I recall, which, well, as you say, is, is absent here. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I suppose that is. I mean, sorry. I suppose that is something that again draws a closer parallel to Wakanda, um, or to Africa in general. The idea exactly. of having been colonized and, and stolen from, and so on. Whereas, and, and certainly you can look at, you know, if they had in, included the idea of the seas being polluted so that the, the surface could develop, you could definitely see, like, it's essentially it's talking about externalities, right? The externality of the surface doing extremely well is that the seas do very badly and the externality of the West mm. developing is at the expense of Africa, mm. essentially. Yeah. yeah. From the sub, but it doesn't do that. It doesn't, you know... I think it, it would suggest that. Well, yeah. it, do, it does through through the colonization aspect, but Absolutely. It, it would be doing so more and more concretely. I think if it said, you know, one, th- this world has polluted us in the way that they stole from you. You know what I mean? Yes, but I mean, instead they do it through colonialism because you know the reason why Wakanda is hidden was actually because of British colonialism in Africa, mm. enslaving people and conquering them and so on. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of why they hid. Right, so that is a shared history in, in yeah, you know yeah. in different ways and with different results. So I mean, I think that you know for a film that is kind of like an action spectacle, you know, I think it looks smashing. I think it you know, I think it moves beautifully, and yet it also has all of these things, in, including you know the radical development of turning a male hero story into a kind of a woman's collective, mm-hmm. yeah, with a lead character, but nonetheless a female ensemble. Yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, I think, I think it's amazing. Um, you said right at the start, at two hours and 40 minutes, it didn't lose you. It didn't. I thought it started slowly. Um, I think, I, to me, it was taking a while to pick up, and it was once the scientist character got to Wakanda, I think, that's around, or, or once they went to retrieve her, at the university, that's when things started to get going for me. And to be fair, from then on, it didn't lose me. But it had taken a while to get going. I thought. I well, I think I think you're right in that a lot of time is spent uh, showing you uh, that the Black Panther has died, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And what happened as a result of that? I mean, you do need a period of transition because. You know, certainly the character was not expected to die, right? So, yeah, yeah. you know, from the last film to this one, you have to account for the change. Yeah. Uh, but I thought it was necessary, and I thought it was well well done. I thought it was also tasteful in the sense that you could imagine 
how schmaltzy, like, you know. Yeah, I kind of was thinking, so, like I said, it's doing a lot with the death of, of Chadwick Boseman. And I don't want to sound callous, but, you know, I think I felt it slightly over, did it? Although, I did also think about when Iron Man dies at the end of Endgame and what an elaborate production of grief that was. Please. And this and isn't that doing really that. Phony. This isn't doing that. Um, and obviously it is dealing with the real death of a real actor as opposed to the death of a character. Um, it, it incorporates the death of the character into the film, obviously. Um, but I think you're right. It is, it is more tasteful than that, certainly. I did still think, you know, it, it, it goes back to the kind of death of T'Challa at the end to to, to to just kind of round it off. So it starts off with his death um, and the Marvel logos that come up, which normally has all the different characters. And it's got like pages of script for various characters. So it's all T'Challa. Mm. So it's all images of the Black Panther and the Marvel logo is not backgrounded by red, it's backgrounded by purple. That's the Black Panther's colour. Um, and it's all silent as well. It doesn't have the Marvel theme over the top of it. And it's like you can hear a pin drop in the audience. Everyone is sort of... everyone's. I, it did feel a little bit like... Well, I was going to say, it, to me, it did it so much it felt like inviting yourself to someone else's funeral, in a way. I was like, this is a bit heavy. you know, a bit, Not heavy, but a bit much. Just because, I but then feel, maybe I it's just fair that. that they do that because because he was important to the film and stuff. It did, it did make me think it is overplaying it a bit and when it goes back to to Chandler at the end when she finally sits on the beach and has a like mm. Lion King sort of mm. imaging sort of him um, and again it's it's done to pure silence I thought oh, haven't we seen this once already and I know it's for the characters so. no no there I agree with you I mean I thought you know the beginning to me was great and mm. necessary you know and very well done I thought the end was a bit over egging the pudding okay um, and I do think actually that it would have been much more effective had all of that thing at the end been with the mother, with the Angela Bassett character, instead of with T'Challa. On the ancestral plane, had she seen yeah, her mother there? Whereas, right. in fact, she'd seen her for a split second a bit before when she was about to kill the villain, and it hadn't had the emotional impact it probably should have. Because well, the whole thing when she first goes to the ancestral plane, Shuri, is she sees Killmonger. She's like, "Why my, my family's abandoned me? I've got to see this guy who is the villain, you know? Um, and because that reflects her, her quest for vengeance and her anger inside... And so when she does see Angela Bassett, because, you know, spoilers, Angela Bassett dies during the course of this film, um, it should have been very, very impactful. And it it didn't... Well, I think actually, you know, she's given short shrift, and I do think that the ending was a bit of a missed opportunity because I think it should have been all about the mother because at the heart of this film is a whole mother-daughter relationship. It, yeah. it is all about mothers and their children, actually. Yeah. You know, both the Submariner's mother, you know, and Angela Bassett, and then, you know, the Lupita Nyong'o character. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, there's this whole theme of motherhood, you know, that's kind of being deployed. So the emotional resonance at the end should have been this reconciliation with the mother. Yeah, absolutely yeah. right. Um, so, uh, so I think, you know, that was a missed opportunity and a sop really, um, because the homage had already been paid to the character and the actor at the beginning. Yeah. You know, so this would have been a good moment to set up something, you know, to, well, to have a kind of emotional closure about this particular narrative and to help set up something for the future, which they kind of do with a child. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, And to be fair, the character had also, it was clear throughout the film that the character of Shuri had been 
coping badly with T'Challa's death. And mm. so the idea that, they, that this is where she finally has reconciliation with his death at the end does make sense. It's not completely out of the blue that they do all this um, ancestral plane stuff with T'Challa there. Um, but I think you're right, it's more fitting, it would have been more fitting had it been a reconciliation the of the mother story. Because also there's that uh, scene at the beginning where Tsuri doesn't believe in the hocus-pocus and yeah. so on. She's with the mother and she let, leaves her and so on. So actually, to go back, you know, after having taken the, the flower and becoming the Black Panther mm. and having the, the ceremony about and with her mother, I would have taken the film a notch up, I think. Yeah. I thought it was a film that essentially showed how um, difficult international diplomacy is because and, it de- and international diplomacy is really a theme in it. It's not like me just being kooky or trying to think I'm funny. It's like it starts off, as I say, at the UN um, and how, you, how, you, how are you going to handle other countries? And then this new whole new nation is brought into it. And how are we going to handle them? But the thing is that this kind of rush to war with, with this new nation... Well, it doesn't happen extremely quickly, but it happens based on kind of partial information and things. You know, so um, so they want certain things from Wakanda. They want Wakanda essentially to take responsibility for telling the world about vibranium, mm. which is now threatening them. Um, but of course, the Wakandans are going, who the hell are you? This has come very quickly. And all I was thinking throughout a lot of this is like, if you just sit down and talk about this for a while, right, you can actually straighten some of this out. But of course, what happens is they go and try and get this scientist and the... Uh, some Mariner people come and stop them. They take the scientist and Shuri hostage, essentially take them to their underwater kingdom. And because there's partial information on both sides, so you've got Shuri learning about this place and starting to develop empathy for it, as the villain actually says at one point, she's starting to develop empathy for us. You've got the Queen on the surface. Um, Angela Bassett is uh, still alive at this point, um, who has no priority other than getting her daughter back. And the fact that she then is you know, sending someone to go and get the daughter back is going to end up threatening the potential diplomacy that is developing between Shuri and this guy. Mm-hmm. You know. So, so, and I'm thinking like, what a tragedy it is that they can't just like calm down for a second, you know. But you, but you also understand why they can't and why it happens so quickly and why this why this war develops. And then actually, when the war is happening. Um, part of me is thinking, I actually feel bad for all these people who are fighting in this war and dying in it as we're watching because they really don't have to be. And I was surprised, and really pleasantly surprised, that um, the eventual confrontation between Shuri and the villain, and I should just get his name, uh, what was it? Um, uh, Namor, mm. played by uh, Tenokweta Mejia. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really pleasantly surprised that the final confrontation between them didn't end with Namor dying, but it ended with a truce. Sure. And coming back and saying the war is over now, we have this, you know, it might be shaky, but it's an alliance of sorts right now, and we can call off the fight. You don't see that at the end of these films at all, ever. No. You never see a peace break out. No, I thought that was great. I thought that was brilliant. And I thought it also leaves an opportunity to have a standalone uh, Submariner film. Although he is still definitely being cast as a villain, because we well, are, well that 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 mural that he's painting at the end, and the, uh, is it his wife who comes and sees him, whoever it is, who says I wanted to fight together or something yes. like that, and he explains to her they're going to rely on us now, and what's unspoken, at least as far as I saw it, was when they rely on us, we will say no, you know, that's what that's what I thought. Well, no, what I thought was when when they call on us, we'll take that as an opportunity 
to kill the surface world. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, okay, same okay. sort of thing, right? So, um, but he's still but, essentially being given this long-term villain role. Is what it comes across to me. As. Well, but the, the thing about the Submariner is that he was always like an anti-hero, mm. right? And the thing is that you he he becomes kind of a hero because you understand where he's coming from. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you definitely do here as well. It yeah. was interesting that you had, you definitely had the same thing with Killmonger in the first one. He's part of a line of villains that you definitely see their point. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the fun things that, that Hollywood does, is it gives you a villain who really has a point. And they, it very very often happens, actually, with, with um, the environment. I, I, I think, for me, the classic example was um, Kingsman. Mm-hmm. In the first Kingsman film, um, the Samuel L. Jackson character was essentially an environmentalist. But of course, he goes about achieving or trying to achieve his environmental goals by putting bombs in everyone's heads. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's just, so like it casts someone who really has the right idea in the villain role, and it's and you do get the feeling of like the military industrial complex like making these films. Yes, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes, to like to try and shape public opinion about the environment. Yes. Um... <laughs> I, yeah. I definitely think you know these people that have been throwing soup on paintings in galleries. Stop oil people! Mm. Like I, the more they do it, the more I think they're being they're being paid by big oil. Oh, okay. do you know what I mean? I, I, so easy to because everyone is against everyone. Everyone looks at these people throwing soup on paintings, going, "You fucking idiots!" Well, I don't know. I don't so know easy that. to shape public opinion about about crazy environmentalists that way. Mm. Um, anyway, anyway, to go back uh, to. Namor and the Submariner. I think there are real possibilities of, you know, developing a standalone film with him because you understand his rage and where he's coming from. And, you know, and then, of course, there are potential for character development. And it would be absolutely fantastic to have. uh, And this is another radical departure from the film, you know, to kind of embody, imagine, symbolize this character now as a Mexican. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, or you know, uh, certainly a Latin American superhero. Um, which I believe the know, actor just, is of indigenous descent. Well, with a name like Tenok, I'm not surprised. Right. Um, I don't know the name. Well, there's a whole thing in Ituma Matambien about the names of the characters, right? Okay. You know, and basically saying that the Tenok, you know, uh, uh, our name. Well, the Tenok is a name. I forget actually now what the argument is. But anyway, it's it's an indigenous. A Mexican name, yeah. Right. Um, so, um, yeah. Anyway, it would be great to have a Latin American superhero because the Submariner was always kind of pictured as like, you know, super white. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, with dark hair, but blue eyes and like you know this muscular white build. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah, certainly nothing Latin American about him. So I think this would be brilliant if uh, if that was you know part of the development, and I think it's also kind of part of the um, the the daring of this film that it cast it in that way. He certainly seems set to return in some form or other. The film, yes. is, the, the series, isn't going to leave him alone, and that's interesting because over the last few Marvel films, essentially, I've really been starting to feel the sense of diminishing returns that. Mm. Most of the characters who you know, I learned to be interested in in the first 10 years um, are now gone or um, certainly have kind of limited um, involvement, it seems to be. You know. So, well, who we got left? We've got Doctor Strange, who is still I, I love. Um We've got Spider-Man, obviously, now that Spider-Man is actually involved because of the, the deal with Sony, he's super important mm. and he's, he's 
probably going to be effectively the main one. Like he and he was, and they always were, right, were writing him as um, kind of poised to be the, the the new Iron Man or take mm. over from Iron Man's role, sort of thing. Um, and and Black Panther, and then of course the you know the thing about Chadwick Boseman dying and how would that continue? And I'm glad that this kind of is successful. It was financially successful, and I think the film is good. Yeah. Um, and it definitely shows that there's a future still in the I, Wakanda kind of part of. I think it's better than good. I think it's the best Marvel film since the original. Black yeah, Panther. I think you're probably right about that. Uh, um, so, so the so the question is, you know, all the other ones, all the new ones that they're that they're trying to introduce, you know, the Eternals. Um, I I had I had no interest in and had a very bad time in that film. Mm. Um, Shang Chi, we liked, mm. and you know, it was quite promising. Mm. I think <laughs> we liked it. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, there's definitely promise there. Um, so I guess the question is, like, can can it develop a new set of interesting characters? Because the thing was, as I say, the first time I wasn't a comic book guy, I'm not a comic book guy, and Iron Man comes out in 2008, you're going, who the fuck is Iron Man? And it turns out to be really remarkably good. Mm. And, you know, they, they were shaky here and there. I didn't like the Thors. Incredible Hulk, they recast, which is unusual for Marvel to have done, because they didn't do that with anyone else. Um, but Edward Norton was not successful as the Hulk. But, you know, ultimately, they, they built something really successful, and they built characters... Who, you, like I said, you learn to love if you hadn't known about them before. Mm. Like I did. Um, question is, can they do it a second time? Well, I think they've done it with this one. So yeah, yeah, they have. She really makes sense as a new Black Panther. Mm. So um, it's a film that I highly recommend. I do think it is quite uh, a daring uh, departure uh, for uh, the Marvel series, and and one that I really welcome. So. Um, Thank you very much for listening. We are eavesdropping at the movies and we are on. Apple Podcasts, Audible, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud and YouTube. On social media, we're on Facebook and Twitter. And the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. It means that I'm still interested in seeing the next Marvel film, which you know, because it was getting to the point where you're going, I don't, I can't be, you know, not sure about this anymore. Uh, But yes, I was personally surprised, I must say, you know. Oh, were you? So you weren't expecting so much from it? No, well, I mean, I kind of, um, I mean, I didn't have any. I wasn't anti whatever. I didn't go in with a you know a a chip on my shoulder about anything. Mm. But I also wouldn't have been surprised if it was a disaster because, you know, the leading protagonist is dead. Mm. So, like, it could go anywhere, right? Yeah, yeah. So. No, essentially, I kind of wasn't worried about that at all. I, I, I feel like I assume that Marvel has an awful lot of care for its characters, I think. Even if some of it had to learn to care for, like the whole thing about about Black Widow only getting her own standalone movie after she was dead. It was, you know, took, a, took a while. But it cares for its characters to the point where, you know, in Endgame, when, as I say, Iron Man died, it cared too much. Mm. And it was really selling the schmaltz. Um, but you didn't feel like it was... I mean, you felt like if, if they had somehow fucked this up, it, everyone involved would never work in Hollywood again. Like, it's so important that they got this right. Sure. You know? 
So um, I, didn't, I kind of didn't have sure, a worry that it no, would. I mean, disasters happen in Hollywood film. Again, it's Hollywood. Things <laughs> can and do go wrong all the time. And, yeah. you know, sometimes what you think is the surest bed goes wrong. That's true. So I suppose also because I did know it was Ryan Coogler directing still. And he directed the first one. Sure. And so the idea that, you know, it's like it's still the, the group of the group of people who'd made that first one. Yeah. Um, were, were in charge of memorialising the character and the actor. I think was part of what's kind of reassuring about that. Yeah, the memorializing is not something that I ever doubted. It's the going forward bit. That, oh, right, okay, yeah. You know, okay. I, I was concerned by. No, that's fair enough. Yeah, no, I was talking about the, the dealing with the death mm. as opposed to what comes next. Mm. But yeah, yeah. Fair enough. 